Father God, we just want to say we love you tonight. And um, the reason why we can say that is because um, you have set us free and you have made us children of God. You have forgiven our sins through, um, through um, Jesus Christ dying on the cross, Lord. And we want to say we love you. And we ask also that tonight, that as we meet together, God, that you would impress upon this, press this on our hearts even more, that God, we'd be even more overwhelmed by your grace and your mercy toward us, Lord Jesus. That as we sing these songs, Lord, it might not just be the words we're singing, Lord, now, but it might be, this is what we do in our life, God, longing to praise your name. Father God, would you just um, really work amongst us, we pray tonight. Lord Jesus, that your spirit would come and encourage us, that we would be here now, like we know you are, God, that you'd be just leading us closer to you, Father. Lord Jesus, that you would empower us for a life of mission in the world, that more and more people may come to faith in you, Jesus, and find life to the fullest, flowing into eternal life with you, God. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this night, and we just ask that you would come and meet with us now, more and more powerfully, God, that we might live for the praise of your name. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Tonight's Bible reading comes from John chapter 1. Verses 35 to 51. It's called Jesus' First Disciples. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying and spent that day with him. It was about the tenth hour. Andrew, Peter Simon's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, He is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were sitting under a fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under a fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. Then he added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. This is the word of God. Am I on? Oh, I think so. (laughs) Thanks, Loz. Good work. Um... You probably got the impression I put a lot of hard work into this from what Alan and Phil were saying, but actually I only just retrieved my Bible from the boot of Bexelvez's car at about 6.30, so I've been scribbling away since then and I've written the whole thing since 
<clears throat> not really. But I did lose my Bible, which is very unholy of me. Now, um, I wonder if you're like me. I wonder if like I used to be when I was about 16. I thought I had it all figured out. I thought I knew what life was all about. I thought I could just go through life from now on knowing everything I needed to know. I was 16 years old. I was the king of the world. I was my own man. And I thought I had it made. And a few years later, I got married. And it really hit me. I didn't know what I was doing. (laughs) I had the basics figured out in life, but I didn't really know where to go from there. I didn't really know what the big strategy was. I didn't really know what the important things in life were. I was just wandering along because I knew I had the basics figured out. Tonight we're going to meet some guys who are in the same predicament, and we're going to learn a lot from them, hopefully. But last Sunday, just for those of you who aren't here, last Sunday we, we learnt from Phil, from the first part of this chapter, about the life and times of John the Baptist uh, and the coming of the Messiah. We learned that this guy, John the Baptist, kind of hung out in the desert, wore camel's clothes, had a big following amongst the locals, and the main point of his message was prepare the way for the Lord. And we learnt that the Lord is Jesus. We learnt that humanity is anticipating that Jesus will come and set them free from their sin. And then we saw Jesus, and we saw him being baptised, and we saw the Spirit descend on him, and we knew that God had chosen and shown that Jesus was the one who would set humanity free, would be the one who would bring salvation. So we now should understand who Jesus is. We've been told in the opening scene the hidden identity of the main character of the story. We've been given a glimpse of the big picture But that's not the case with the rest of the people who will feature in the life story of Jesus. They don't really immediately see Jesus for who he really is. But as in tonight's reading, they get a glimpse. They start to see that Jesus is really more than meets the eye. So where to from here? We know Jesus means freedom or salvation. We've got the basics figured out. We're 16-year-olds. But what next? Well, tonight we'll see that it's all about following It's all about following Jesus. And to do that, we've got some great examples. Tonight, in the Bible reading, we're introduced to some guys who we commonly call the disciples, but people who will later go on to help shape the destiny of the worldwide church. But for the time being, they're just a bunch of local blokes who hang out in Galilee, and as we'll see tonight, they like fishing and sitting under trees. So you could say they're a lot like you and me, I guess, except... The Bible says that they actually caught fish too, which (laughs) doesn't sound like me. However, the best part of tonight's reading is that Andrew, John, Peter and Nathaniel all come away with a new knowledge of Jesus. They begin to recognise him for who he really is. And in different ways, each of them comes to the same conclusion. Jesus is not an ordinary teacher or prophet. This process is relayed to us in John chapter 1 as a series of I guess you'd say penny-dropping moments or light bulb moments, you know, in the cartoon when the light bulb pops up and Roadrunner realises that Coyote's just figured out a new way to eat him or something like that. It's one of those times where you realise something that should have been obvious in the first place. And I wonder if, like me, you've had any of those experiences. I once um, was in grade three and I got to school and I realised that I had my flannelette pyjamas on underneath my school uniform. (laughs) Um, Mum hadn't noticed. 
but all my classmates were, and they were giggling at me. And then I saw the jammy protruding from below my shorts, and I realised the truth. It dawned on me like a light bulb. Tonight we'll see how each of these four disciples recognises the truth. Tonight we'll also meet Jesus, firstly as a teacher, and then we'll learn how to put that teaching into practical use. But there's more to Jesus than just teaching, and we'll see in the twist at the end tonight that there's something else going on. But first, let's get into it. Let's meet Jesus as our teacher. Follow with me in uh, verse 36, as we read. And, And he looked, this is John the Baptist, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, where are you staying? Rabbi, where are you staying? Now we're told that one of these guys is Andrew, but we're not told who the other one is. Most people tend to to interpret him as being the Apostle John who wrote this book and went on to become one of the key leaders in the church as it spread from Jerusalem to the rest of the world. So um, in the spirit of solid biblical theology, we're just going to blindly assume that it is John. And if you've got a problem with that, you can please take it up with Phil because he's been to Bible college. Thanks. <laughs> so Andrew and John were following John the Baptist in his ministry. Like John, they were eagerly expecting the salvation from God that had been promised to them in the Old Testament scriptures, which they had available to them. So when John points them to Jesus, the very first thing they do is recognise his teaching authority. They say, Rabbi, where are you staying? I mean, these guys drop John the Baptist faster than you'd drop a racism case against an Indian cricketer. They just, boom, off they go. I mean, they recognise Jesus as the one who would teach them everything they need to know. Rabbi, where are you staying? But first, I guess, let's sort out the meaning of the word rabbi because it literally translates as my great teacher. My great teacher. But when I think of a teacher... I've got these weird, th- weird thoughts. I think of a, a middle-aged guy with grey hair and glasses and a mo, because all teachers have moustaches, and uh, one of those jumpers with the vinyl patches on the sleeves. You know, you know those guys? Yeah. Well, Jesus was not like Ned Flanders or Seymour Skinner. Jesus is so much more. So much that us Aussies with our tall poppy syndrome probably struggle a bit to understand the meaning of the word rabbi. So I had a long think, and I thought... Our Australian equivalent to the word rabbi is probably someone like Don Bradman. Um, Don Bradman's a legend. No one disrespects the memory of Don Bradman. When he was alive, he was held up there with the highest regard, and he still is. I mean, how often do you sit around and poke fun at Don Bradman? Didn't think so. Good. (laughs) So that's a good example. So the term rabbi was reserved for such a person, a person who commanded the utmost respect wherever he went, amongst those he taught, and he had the revered position of expert wherever he went. So we're here um, to learn from the expert. The expert trains others to be like him. So that makes us a bit like, I guess, a junior cricket team um, who just got off the bus at a Don Bradman training camp. We're here to learn from the master teacher. So in verse 38, John lays down a foundational principle of following Jesus. Being a disciple or discipleship is based on learning. Now, there's lots of places we can learn these days. I mean, maybe you go to school, or you're just coming back to start another semester of uni. Uh Or like me, you face 
endless sessions of workplace training, but none of these places, none of these places teach us about God or his salvation. I mean, what does it mean to live a life of learning following Jesus? What does it mean to set out on a path of training following God? Or maybe you're just like I used to be and you're sitting there thinking, this is all a bit irrelevant. This guy's talking about training and teaching. I mean, I used to think that once I had the God stuff figured out in my life, then I could move on up to something more important like uh, finding a girlfriend and getting married. Or maybe you think that you know Jesus well enough uh, and now it's time to start putting some effort into your studies so you can have a successful career and get what you want out of life. Or, or is it maybe that you want to get right with Jesus so that you can now focus on your family and pouring all your energy into raising your children? See, I used to think that learning and growing deeper in my walk with Jesus wasn't all that important as long as I had the basics figured out. But I, if we think of Jesus like Don Bradman and ourselves as junior cricketers who have just got off the bus, this attitude can't be right. I mean, I need to learn more from Jesus. So I look for an example of learning from Jesus. I looked high and low through the Old and New Testaments. I looked at all these biblical figures from history who had devoted their lives to following God. I searched scriptures and I found so many examples of people who gave themselves to training. And I ignored all these in favour of Borat. That's right, Borat Sangjiev, Kazakhstan's third most popular man. You see, Borat embodies what it means to set out on a life of learning. Now, for those of you who don't know Borat, and you're still unscarred, he's a journalist from Kazakhstan who set out on an epic journey to the United States to get all the learnings that he could about a modern democracy so that he could help make even greater the glorious nation of Kazakhstan. He has many funny experiences along the way and he gets a bit carried away in the culture of the US. But the sole purpose of Borat's journey was for learnings. He was prepared to be changed so that he could serve the greater purpose. And the greater purpose in his case was to make even greater the glorious nation of Kazakhstan. Uh, at this point, I'd like to take the time that I do not recommend you watch Borat. It's not a good movie. Um, and if you have the DVD at home, can you please throw it in the bin? Because it's not wise for us to watch it. But in some ways, Jesus wants us to be like Borat. Jesus wants us to be on a life journey that will see us changed to serve a greater purpose. Jesus wants us to be on a life journey of learning from the rabbi, the master teacher. So in verse 39, he invites Andrew and John to come and see, to come and learn from him. He says, come and you will see. Now, I'm not talking about the kind of head knowledge that leaves us full of historically correct orthodox understandings of big words or not the type of training that results in really smart people having arguments in church meetings over the meaning of finer theologies like penal substitutionary atonement or anything like that, but life-transforming training based on time spent with God through knowing Jesus, the great teacher. So in relationship with him, in his word, and with other keen disciples. See, Jesus wants a generation of skilled-up disciples who don't just feel committed at a relational level to him, but deeper than that, people whose lives have been transformed by solid biblical training. So... To be a skilled-up disciple, let me suggest just a couple of brief, really practical ideas. Number one, go to Bible college and do a PhD. Okay, maybe not. 
but you can read the Bible and you can pray every day. Now, we've heard all this before. If we've been Christians for a while and we've been coming to church for a while, we've heard the whole read the Bible and pray and we know we need to do it. But it's foundational to our relationship with God. Now, I'm not going to elaborate too much on that point tonight. You'll have to come to Young Adults Camp in Anglesey to hear the full story on that. But can I just say it's foundational to be in relationship with God. Another practical way, and this is a bit random, is, um, and this is a pet one of mine, download some Bible talks and put them on your iPod. Um, or if you're a tech head like me, you can put them on cassette and put them in your Walkman while you, while you roller skate to work. <laughs> but seriously, don't just listen to music all the time on your Walkman or your iPod, sorry. Mix it up with some biblical teaching. Uh, if you don't know of any good um, places, there's iTunes, you can get it off the internet. Just make sure you ask someone who, are good, uh, who some good teachers are before you jump into it. But please do that. Now, that's not for everyone. Um, but the important one is an important one is to put yourself in a small group that meets regularly to study God's word. This is a great way to meet together with other disciples and learn from the master teacher, from the rabbi. And even in our busy 21st century lives, small groups are probably one of the best formats to receive life-changing teaching from Jesus. So can I encourage you, in fact, it's not really optional, if you're not in the small group this year and you want to be, um, please seek one out so that you can learn from Jesus. Please don't put it off. Please don't um, give it to the second half of the year. Please start early. Uh, and if you're already in a small group or if you're already learning, aim to be skilled enough to be a trainer yourself. Whatever your context, school, uni, work, church, whatever it is, there's opportunities to teach others about Jesus wherever you go. So we learnt last Sunday that people are anticipating this salvation. People are, being, are anticipating being free from sin. So the world is looking for something. Now, in this first bit, Andrew and John have seen that salvation. They know they need to learn how to be involved. So let's be like them. Let's learn. Let's come each week to church, small group, even going to uni or school or even playing footy or cricket or crochet or whatever you do. <laughs> let's come with the anticipation of being able to learn from Jesus. Let's treat every situation we find ourselves in as a learning experience. So let's be disciples that are hungry to be taught and grow. Moving on. Getting into verse 40, we see the, the practical implications of this learning. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we found the Messiah, which means the Christ. We found the Messiah. This guy's just spent his whole day with Jesus. And what's the first thing he does? It gets to about the 10th hour or 4 o'clock in the afternoon and he decides he needs to find his brother and tell him about Jesus. Now, Peter was probably, his brother Peter was probably mending his fishing nets after a long, hard day out in the, the lake, catching fish for a living. And then Andrew runs around the corner and blurts out, we found the Messiah. We found the one promised by God to set us free. The king is here to rescue us. I mean, Andrew's pretty excited. But today, we understand the Messiah to be God's fulfillment of salvation and a future promise of an eternal kingdom. But Andrew may have been thinking that now this is a great opportunity to overthrow those nasty Romans and kick them out so that we can have Palestine back to ourselves because the Romans were occupying Palestine at the time. So he may have been looking to Jesus as a political messiah 
But whatever he was thinking, Andrew does the right thing. He puts his learning into practice. He begins to tell others of the Messiah. For Andrew, following Jesus is not just an intellectual exercise that you involve yourself in on Sunday night. It's also a life exercise involving his heart and his hands. Andrew's beginning to model a whole of life Christianity that we can try and emulate. Please turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. And I just want to show you the other end of the spectrum. Andrew's just starting out. Andrew's just met Jesus. In Colossians chapter 1, we see Paul, who's been on the road of following Jesus for a long time. Paul gives his kind of one-sentence life story in verse 28 of Colossians 1. The summary of his lifelong learning strategy. It's kind of the key to his walk with Jesus, and it shows us the model he used to put his learning into practice. Colossians 1, 28. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. Paul strives to present everyone mature in Christ by preaching Jesus, teaching about him, and correcting people with all the wisdom that he can muster. Like Andrew, Paul just didn't sit around basking in the glow of the Bible or basking in the glow of Jesus. He put what he learned into practice. Andrew wanted to present his brother perfect in Christ, so he ran and told him. As a follower of Jesus, you'll find plenty of ways to put this into practice as well. We hear about them all the time. There was a whole list of them in the bulletin tonight of ways we can put our learning into practice by involving ourselves with the world around us. But many of us already do. I mean, I see people making new friends after the Sunday night service quite regularly. That's a way of putting it into practice. I've met uni students from La Trobe and CSU, who are hopefully coming to La Trobe soon because CSU is not as good as La Trobe. They want to be involved in standing up for Christ on their campus. I even hear some of you tell me stories about how you've shared your faith with your friends. I mean, that's exciting. Just this week, I was hearing from Joan Cummings about the children's ministry at this church and the gospel impact that that's having on the local community and the school kids of Wodonga. Two people are getting baptised next week. That's a public declaration of following Jesus. That's putting our learning into practice. And even um, a couple of people are going to be working cross-culturally for the gospel this year, and that's pretty scary stuff. But it's what Jesus is on about. It's putting our learning into practice. Can I just say it's so encouraging when you see people who put what they've learnt into practice. The lesson we need to learn here from Andrew and from Paul is to keep striving. As in verse 29, Paul struggles with all his energy, all the energy of God that works so powerfully in him. To keep striving with all the energy that God gives us to keep presenting people perfect in Christ, whether that's the people in our small group, the people sitting next to us, our family, our friends at work, whoever it is, to keep presenting people perfect in Christ. That's the goal to work towards. That's how to put our learnings into practice. That's how to make even more great the glorious kingdom of God. That's how to make Borat proud. But there's a twist at the end. See, we've been talking a lot about learning and being trained and putting that into practice and Jesus is our rabbi. But, I mean, what's this last bit about? What's verses 49 to 51 about at the, end of the, at the end of the chapter? 
Nathanael answers Jesus, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answers him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, we've just been introduced to Jesus as a teacher, but now there's this weird bit at the end. Just to cut a long story short, Nathaniel was a sceptic. But when Jesus confronts him with the truth, Nathaniel breaks down in worship. The expressions rabbi, son of God, and king of Israel that Nathaniel used to describe Jesus kind of tie this section together well. John has used in this bit the account of Nathaniel to kind of summarise the previous responses of the disciples to Jesus so far. And I guess you'd think about it on the face of it, if, if you were like Nathaniel and you're confronted by Jesus, you'd um, think you'd got it right. You'd think that if you, you were in the same spot, you'd probably say the same things. Rabbi, son of God, king of Israel. But Jesus leaves us with a glimpse into an even deeper reality. You see, what the boys in chapter 1 don't realise yet is that there's much more to Jesus than what they've already seen and what they've so far figured out. Even though they've chosen to follow him, even though they want to learn from him, even though they want to learn from him in a lifetime of learning and put that into practice, they still barely know Jesus. What's this, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. In these verses, Jesus is referring to the account in Genesis chapter 28 of where Jacob steals his birthright from his brother Esau and he nicks off to his ancestral land of Haran to avoid certain death and find himself a wife. Now, there are two pretty good reasons to get out of the home, I'd say. I'd probably do the same if I was in his shoes. But on the way, Jacob had this dream that a stairway opens up from heaven, with, from heaven to earth with angels walking up and down. In the dream, God promises Jacob that all peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. So Jesus is making the link that he is the offspring of Jacob. Jesus is saying that he is a blessing to all humanity. And that blessing is the key to the book of John. As we get further into the book and the character and the life of Jesus unfolds to us, as it does to these four guys, we'll see that Jesus is much more than just God's blessing to humanity. He's claiming that in verse 51, he's the only connection point between a loving God and a thirsty humanity. He's much more than the rabbi but we still need to be learning from him. He's much more than the Messiah, but he will return in victory. He's even much more than God's son. Jesus is God. He's all the glory of God in human form. But Andrew and John and Philip and Nathaniel don't know that yet. So the exciting thing is, we're going to be able to journey with them through the book of John and learn with them as we come to know Jesus Christ as the rabbi, the master teacher, and the Messiah more and more. But see, the challenge we have in front of us tonight is this. Are you prepared to follow Jesus so much that what he teaches will lead you to change? Are you so committed to discipleship that you don't mind if your life turns out differently to how you expected it? Or maybe you're happy with your faith the way it is and you're like me at 16 and you don't think you need to know anything more because you've already got it figured out. Well, if that's you... Stick with the book of John 
Because over time, we're going to see that following Jesus is a lifelong learning curve. Discipleship is long-term obedience to Jesus. The question is, will you obey his command to follow him no matter what? So at the brink of the book of John, Jesus is throwing down the gauntlet to us. He's saying, follow me for the rest of your lives and I'll show you who I really am. Follow me and you'll really come to understand the glory of God. He says, follow me and one day you'll meet with God. So don't go anywhere. Okay, the book of John is going to get very exciting. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that you are a great teacher. You're trustworthy. You're the master teacher who commands authority over all other teaching that we come across. Thank you, Jesus, for asking us to follow you and not expecting us to do all the work ourselves. But thank you also that you're the Messiah. Thank you that you will return in victory and that we can strive to be a people perfected in you, that we can put all our energy into serving you because we know it won't be wasted at the last day. God, you're our Father. You care for us. You have a whole life journey under your control. So please help us, God, to follow you with all our whole lives. Please help us not to just be Sunday Christians or Christians when people are watching. But, Father, we pray that you would continue to keep us walking in ways that please you all the time in our lives. Father, when we have doubts about you, please reassure us this is a lifelong journey and that you went to the cross to make it possible to find life in you. Jesus, we pray that we would open up our lives to being taught by you so that we're prepared to change. Jesus, we pray that we'd want to be on a lifelong learning journey with you. Thank you, thank you, God, for sending Jesus to make this possible. Amen. Thanks.